the number of emotions being held in this moment is truly big. It's a number probably higher than I want to try to count. I saw a post from when Dan Levy finished Schitt's Creek, and it read, when you've written the last page of the last episode of the last season of your show, and you feel like you are just punched in the gut by gratitude, sadness, and love. You could see the tears in his eyes, and I just have to say that I feel that. I feel that in my gut this morning. But one thing that I really loved about my time here with all of you at Imago is that it has reminded me that I'm at my best when I'm just me, right? That when I'm just the person that I am when I show up as me. And when I think about how this process of crafting a message has become such a great piece of the rhythm of my life, I know that at the cornerstone of it has to be a story. And so this morning I start with a story. Once upon a time, there was a little girl. She was getting ready for bed and doing girls do. I have a little girl now, so I understand what putting a little girl to bed looks like. I don't know exactly what she was doing in that moment, but I do know that she must have done something wrong because all of a sudden she felt like she couldn't breathe. Felt like the wind had been knocked out of her. and She didn't really have words for this experience, and so she said, that hurt my heart. Very quickly she was told that she should never say anything like that ever again. So she discovered that the best way to deal with the pain of this life, the pain that would come again many times, was to just not talk about it. And maybe it wouldn't be quite so real. In this Eastertide season, we have been exploring theology and the body, right? We've put together these two things that have often been asked to be separated and not talked about in continuity And so this morning, we explore the idea of trauma. And the truth is, is that when I think about trauma, I always kind of thought of trauma as an event, right? Something that happened, a traumatic experience that I might have or that someone else might have. And, you know, trauma could happen in a person's life, but it could also happen in a organization. It could happen in a family. It could happen in the world, Right, And sometimes we even hear the word traumatic used as a way of kind of emphasizing something, right? Like the drive through line to pick up the school kids today was such a wreck. It was traumatic. This word trauma gets used in a lot of different ways. And so before we get started, we have to understand what do we even mean when we talk about trauma? Author Resma Menicum in his book, My Grandmother's Hands, explains that trauma is actually not an event. Trauma is the body's protective response to an event or a series of events that it perceives as potentially dangerous. It's a wordless story because it goes beyond words that our body tells itself about what is safe and what is a threat. And what we experience in our bodies stays a part of us. So even long after the event has passed, and maybe even the memory of the event has passed, the trauma remains in our bodies. Have you ever wondered why Jesus 
had a bodily resurrection. You know, for so long, I always think about that after we die, that we become spirit, right? And even though there's discussions otherwise in the text, it still has kind of this ethereal idea of what happens, and yet Jesus comes back in not only a body, but a body with scars. Now, we know that Jesus is fully healed, right? Jesus has ascended into heaven. Jesus has had this moment. We know that in this moment, he has been able to ascend back from the grave. He is is fully God and fully divine all at once. And yet in that moment, Jesus still has scars. Why would Jesus still have scars? That seems like such an interesting decision in the, you know, planning session, right? Isn't that how the whole universe got created? They had like a brainstorming session and big flip charts and they decided like, okay, if we do this, then this would work and then this would work. No, it wasn't like that. But I like to think of it that way because that's how I approach my life and trying to figure it all out. But for some reason it mattered. For some reason, when it was all designed, it was important that Jesus would come back in a body and Jesus would come back in a body with scars. And in today's passage, Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up in a place of fear. Jesus shows up in a place where they are crying out like we did in Remember When this morning, asking, where's God? Where is God? What happened? We thought that everything was changing, and yet here we are, and everything's right back where it was. We're hiding out, out of fear, that if we are found, and if people know who we really are, then we're next. What are we going to do? And Jesus shows up, and he connects with his community. He connects with the trauma of that body of people. They've hidden to protect themselves. And Jesus comes right in. It doesn't say how he gets in the door. We don't know how he actually gets in the door. Jesus just appears, but he appears in a body. And what does he do? What could Jesus do? There's a million options, right? There's a ton of different ways the story could play out, and yet what does Jesus do? It's it doesn't have to be a rhetorical question. Does anybody remember what? To, huh? He says, peace be with you, right? Peace be with you. And he says it twice. He says, peace be with you. And then he shows them his scars. He shows them that there are his wounds. And somehow in that moment, what happens is a moment of deep assurance. And they are filled with joy. They're filled with joy. Isn't it interesting to think that the evidence of the scars was something that would give them deep assurance and that would fill them with joy? Because the reality is, is that the 2,000 years since, we've kind of told the opposite story, right? Oh, you have wounds, you have scars, you should probably not talk about those. Let's keep those hidden. Let's keep those under... Don't, Don't tell people about what has happened to you. Don't tell people about the pain that you have endured. And when your body responds in trauma and you're triggered, you need to figure that out. Like, you need to figure that out because that's your work to do. That's not, I don't have to love you when you act that way. 
because you're the one who's struggling, and that's your struggle. And yet, the people closest to Jesus, the ones who saw his scars, they didn't ask Jesus to hide. They didn't ask him to, like, pull the sleeves of his dress or his, you know, what he wore, his tunic down. They let him show the scars, and they were filled with joy. And so why is it that so often as we're crying out and we're afraid and we're saying, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what to do with this pain. I don't know what to do with the trauma that my body is experiencing in response to this pain or this trigger. It's kind of the opposite. The Body Keeps the Score author, Vessel van der Kolk, explains that the silence is what leads to shame, and the shame leads to the death of the soul. And we wonder why things are falling apart. It's interesting because this journey of trying to hide is not a new story. It didn't come after Jesus, right? It comes from the very beginning in the Genesis narrative. As soon as they're aware that they are naked, they hide away from God. And God doesn't come to them and tell them how awful they are or how terrible they are. No, God asks a question. Who told you you were naked? And so I invite you to ask today in this world where we know that bodies are holding trauma and collective bodies are holding trauma, who is it that's saying that we should be ashamed? Who is it that's saying that we should be ashamed when the tears are falling? Who is it that says that we should be ashamed when we need some time and some space to process through the things that are happening? When, when we react and then we have to come back and apologize later because we realize we reacted from that place of trauma that we didn't have any control over because our body was trying to protect us. Our body was noticing something that connected with something that had happened in the past and our body was saying, this isn't safe, get away, don't do this, don't go there again. Who told us that we should be ashamed? Remember the little girl from our opening story? What that little girl didn't know is that the person who hurt her had also been hurt and also was never given a safe place to talk about it or to understand it or to try to find a way to maybe find peace, peace be with you. How could a little girl know something like that? But as she got older, she realized that hurt leads to hurt and trauma leads to trauma. Our Old Testament writers talk throughout the scriptures, but particularly in Deuteronomy chapter 5, about this idea of generational sin, right? And how it goes on to your children's children's children. Well, here's the bad news. Sin, that feels like something we have control over. But the truth is, is that trauma does the exact same thing, and we don't have any control over that. In fact, they've gone so far as to find that trauma is so much a cycle that it's actually passed on in our DNA. So even if you're breaking a cycle of trauma in your family or your organization or in the world, 
it's still been passed on in such a way that there are things happening that you don't even realize that are happening, and they don't make sense because that person hasn't endured an event, but they're still carrying the weight of that trauma in their body, in their God-given, created body, in a body that holds the Imago Dei. They're still carrying those traumas and those scars and those wounds. And the truth is, is that I don't really get that. You know, this is one of those spaces where I've wrestled a lot with God in trying to understand why does it work that way? Why is it that someone experiences something terrible and their bodies respond protectively and they live their life that way and then they get older and then they do the same thing? Sure, maybe it reduces intensity or frequency, and so they can tell themselves, well, it's not really as bad, so it's different. It's not the same, but the truth is, is that trauma, until faced, continues to hold power. I think today's passage is incredibly beautiful because it shows us and reminds us throughout Jesus' ministry, even though this is coming to the end of his bodily presence here on earth, throughout his ministry, Jesus has shown a way to disrupt the cycle. Jesus kept meeting people where they were in their places of shame, in their places of bodily trauma, and speaking into those moments. He did this particularly, for me, has always been meaningful, with the woman at the well, right? So with the woman with the well, do you remember? He had to keep digging deeper. There were like all of these layers that she had built up to protect herself, and Jesus had to just keep dismantling those layers, one layer at a time, until he finally got to that source of shame and trauma and spoke a word of hope, of living water, that she was not going to have to live in that space anymore. And she couldn't wait to tell everyone. She she ran off to share this news. Here was someone who couldn't even have a voice in the world around her, who's now going and shouting to everyone, here it is, here is the good news. The good news is that there's a different kind of story happening. He goes through this with person after person after person, and here he is in this culminating event, meeting one more person, right? So he appears to the disciples, but Thomas isn't there. And so Thomas, they, the disciples go to Thomas and say, take our word for it. Take our word for it. Like, Jesus is back. We've seen him. We've seen our Lord. We're, we're, everything's all right. Everything's going to be all right. And what does Thomas say? I'm not taking your word for it, right? And that's the reality is that people who have endured trauma, they might like to hear the good news. Maybe sometimes you tell people about this church, right? You tell people about Imago the way that, Todd, you were sharing people were telling you. And you're like, I don't, I don't know if I really believe that, right? That seems great. That's nice, but I don't know that I believe it. I want to see it for myself. I want to see that there could be a place like that. I want to see that there could be a place where where suffering can be different than what I actually thought it was, where life can be different than what I thought it was. Author Toni Morrison says, history haunts the present, 
precisely because the events were not addressed and justice was not done. And we have a model for how to address events and how to see justice done. Jesus met his confidants. He named the scars. He spoke about the wounds. He did this collectively and he did this individually. And as he did that work, he opened vulnerably without shame, said a new story is being written. He went into a place of fear and questioning and wrestling and doubt, and his wounds changed the story to joy. I'm not sure how exactly Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit do this. I don't get it. It is a holy mystery how in the deep grief that people were in at the loss of Jesus' bodily existence here on earth, he could walk in the room, show them his wounds, and they could have everything transformed to joy. I don't know how that works. And I don't believe that it's like an instantaneous process, right? Because we're talking about trauma, which is generations, right? So it's not just someone's going to walk in the room, like you're going to walk into that therapy room the very first time, and you're going to be like, here's a great therapist. They're doing amazing work, and it's all done. It's all better. It, it, it's endless amounts of unpeeling the layers and doing that important work. But what Jesus says in this moment is receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. And so if you, like me, have walked into this room and you hold in your body fear and you hold in your body wounds, whether they are open or they are in the process of closing or they're being healed, may we hear this word from Jesus today and receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that wants to do the work in our life that we can't do for ourselves, the Holy Spirit that wants to guide us to the right therapist, to the right resources, to the right community so that we can get the healing that can lead to the story where it turns to joy. Receive that spirit upon you this morning because we have work to do as a church, which raises a great question. What exactly can we do? If, I mean, we, we can talk about theology in the body, right? But I'm not a mental health therapist, and while we have incredible ones in our midst, there, there are still needs beyond even that, right? We can look to the disciples. What did they do? They came together. They came together, and we can come together. They came into this communal embrace so that they could go back out into the world. Because as much as we love this space, and I think this is the most people I've ever gotten to see in this space, and all my time here, the first week there were like five or six of us, right? So um, it, it's amazing. But even here, we can't stay here forever, right? We have jobs and families and lives and school and all of these things that we have to do. So we come into this communal embrace and we go back out into the world. So what could that communal embrace look like? embrace look like? As theologian Shelley Rambo explains, the experience of trauma dismantles notions of theology as a provider of solution. There is no quick and easy solution, and it certainly can't be found in the platitudes that have often been passed off to people as they've endured trauma. That everything happens for a reason, or that this is your cross to bear, or that um, it's, it's all God's will and it's going to work out and it's going to make sense. You know what? For that little girl, it doesn't make sense. 
it doesn't make sense why that had to happen. And it will never make sense. And it doesn't make sense for the person that happened to before her and the person before that. It just doesn't make sense. And a a God that is all about love, a God that shows up and meets people in the middle of their stories is certainly not a God who's going to say, and my will for you is for you to go through this suffering that goes on for generations and generations. The truth is, is the past is not the past. The past is here. It's still in us because we carry it within us. But that pain, that pain is meant to be transformed. It's not meant to happen, but it is meant to be transformed. My favorite part of the shack, which I know I work into every sermon, and you guys are just lucky I didn't preach every week, is this piece of the story where Mac and Papa are together, and Papa says to Mac, living with pain is like a bird with clipped wings. You aren't meant to live like that. You were created to fly. This is your flying lesson. How do we fly? We can't skip parts of the story. We have to embrace laments. We have to embrace the pain. We have to create rituals around healing, which you are distinctly designed for here. So many people ready to do that work with you through formation communities and spiritual practices and pastoral care and through the communities of small groups. We have to fully engage our senses. We have to confront and engage the wounds. We have to be willing to submit them to a space for transformation. We can't try to deny them. Shelley Rambo goes on to say that resurrection it's tied to a process of revaluation. Revaluation. And so if the cross was the denial of value, then the embodied resurrected Christ is the evidence that there is value, that every person has value, and that no matter what story has been told to you or for you or about you or in you, whatever story your body is telling you, you have value value. You are loved. You are needed and necessary. And there is no reason for anything else to ever be held as true. But unfortunately, it will be held as true. And we're going to have to fight it with everything we have. And the greatest source we have is that Holy Spirit we receive, that Holy Spirit we receive from Jesus and that we receive from each other. Revaluation comes through remembering. Why do you think that of all the liturgy that gets spoken over and over and over again in the church, the communion liturgy asks us to do what? To remember. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. Remember. Remember. And as we remember, we have to reconnect We have to reconnect our body and our mind and our spirit. This is part of the hard work of recovery from trauma. And the body keeps the score. There are a multitude of resources in addition to the blog post. But it really comes down to therapy, 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 therapy. I cannot say it enough. I know I can't say it enough. I am so incredibly grateful for the amazing therapists that have helped me work through the beginning of this work. I am so 
far from the end of the journey. And that therapy can include neurofeedback, and that neurofeedback can help retrain that brain. Another great resource is yoga. Yoga connects our bodies and our minds and our spirits. And then, in addition, there's knowledge, right? And where do we get knowledge from? Incredible resources who will teach us about the family systems that have allowed for trauma to be cyclical. And so next Saturday morning, right here, you have an opportunity from 9 to 11. And if you can't make it on next Saturday morning from 9 to 11, I guarantee we will find a way to get you connected to those resources because we need to understand what is happening. We need to confront the wound so we can see it transformed. Theologian Serene Jones, who has become one of my absolute favorite voices in all of seminary, says that faith communities can be containers in which experiences can be held and transformed. We can bring those experiences here and see them transformed, and then we can see them redefined. In a recent episode of popular TV show, Million Little Things, a character goes through a, an experience that will lead to a lifetime of trauma. And someone that loves her dearly says, I don't want this to define her life. Someone who loves her but understands says it doesn't have to. But it will redefine her life. And the truth is, is that trauma doesn't have to define us, but it will redefine us. So what's the promise? What's the promise for Thomas? What's the promise for the disciples in the upper room? And more importantly, what's the promise for us? Because we're the ones who are here now, right? We can't hide away and, and wait for Jesus to show up and say, look at my wounds. What does Jesus say to Thomas? He says, don't be faithless any longer. Don't be afraid of what you can't see. Don't be afraid of what you don't understand. Believe. Thomas is my Lord and my God. The promise is that we can look at the wounds of Jesus and we can know that even if it doesn't make sense, there's a whole new story being written. We get to be a part of it. Trauma in our bodies is real. But there is redemption in our bodies as well. And while we cannot forget, we can be healed. St. Rachel Held Evans said there's a difference between curing and healing. And I believe the church is called to the slow and difficult work of healing. We are called to enter into one another's pain and anoint it as holy and stick around no matter the outcome. Remembering leads to redemption. It's the only way. As I prepare to land this final plane as your pastoral intern, I invite the worship team to come back up and join me. Because here at Imago, we don't do hard things alone. Like, that's like a central, I know it's not one of the five directives, but it's, it's infused in the energy of the space. 
Remember the little girl? She just preached an entire sermon about trauma. I am that little girl. And for many years, I thought that I had to hide, that I couldn't tell people that, because that was my shame. But the reality is, is it isn't. There was a silent space around that story, but now that space has become loud and brave and willing to not only share my story, but to make spaces where other people can do the same. Because my story and your story and our collective story, it doesn't belong in the dark. May we speak into the light of the divine logos and receive love. Love has the power to transform even the darkest of spaces. Love has the power to change our stories. Love has the power to make us brave enough to share them. We can let our bodies speak because we have generations of work to do. For now, it's time to spread our wings and to fly.